all Christians in all ages face challenge to their God and to their godliness. We are not unique. And as a consequence, we take heart and hope from what the scriptures say we must know. What, what after all, is the psalmist so willing to confess, threatened to trip his soul, to make his feet almost slip? It was just the simple. He said, good things happen to bad people and not to me. Today on the Songtime Broadcast, we begin our summer series, our summer psalm series, as we get into book three of the Psalms and discover this these amazing questions raised by those who served in the temple. This psalm from Asaph that asks the question, why do the wicked prosper? Stay tuned for that. But first, we're going to be talking about the doctrine of creation with our special guest today, Ken Ham. The many voices come together for that one message. I'm your host, Adam Miller. You're listening to Songtime Radio. Well, today's conversation might be a week short, but it is definitely not cut short as we continue to consider the implications of this doctrine. At the beginning of the year, we challenged you to to really think through doctrine and theology. We recommended Paul David Tripp's book, Do You Believe? We still have some copies if you're still interested in getting involved in that. Uh, 12 Historic Doctrines of the Church That Every Christian is needs to know. This this is a very important subject and one that we are breaking down one each month. So consider this a part of June. I know it's July, but it is still a part of our commitment to you to help you understand doctrine and theology. And this week's conversation is going to break down the God of creation, a crucial one because it's the very beginning of our Bibles. The very first verse in Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If we don't get this doctrine settled and understood, it really plays into so many other implications in the Christian faith. It's crucial that we understand that God is our creator and that we belong to him even before he purchased us with the blood of Christ. That's why I'm excited to be joined today by Ken Ham, who you might know through Answers in Genesis, as well as the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. He joins us this week to talk about the God of creation, and I am Honestly, privileged to have him as our guest, as someone who has grown up on Answers in Genesis material. Uh, Ken, thank you so much for being a part of the many voices for that one message. Hey, thanks, Adam, and it's uh, great to be with you. Why don't you get started by telling us a little bit about uh, your ministry, Answers in Genesis, and how it pertains particularly to this whole doctrine series that we've been working on in the doctrine of creation. Well, Answers in Genesis is an apologetics ministry, which doesn't mean we apologize for our faith. What it does mean is that we give answers to the skeptical questions of our age. And, you know, when you look at uh, what's happening today, I would say that we live in an era in which the attack, the Genesis 3 attack, I call it, you know, Genesis 3, 1, when the devil came to Eve and said, did God really say? And in 2 Corinthians 11, 3, the apostle Paul warns us, the devil's going to use the same attack on us as he did on Eve. So the attack to undermine God's word, to get people to doubt God's word, I would say since the 1800s in particular, has been really focused on the historicity of the first 11 chapters of the Bible. And so we do specialize in giving people answers to those attacks that undermine those first 11 chapters. 
because those first 11 chapters of Genesis, you know, you could call it the creation, fall, flood, Tower Babel account, they're, they're foundational to the whole of the rest of the Bible, all of our doctrine, to our whole worldview. And so uh, Answers in Genesis publishes a lot of apologetics materials for all ages. Uh, so we're really emphasizing that the Bible's a book of history. And not only that, we have two attractions, the Ark Encounter, the Creation Museum, that are set up so that we answer these questions using exhibits and point people to the truth of God's word and the saving gospel. And so at the Creation Museum, we have a planetarium, we have a 4D theater, uh, we have lots of exhibits and a dinosaur exhibit, insectarium, but we walk people through the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation. Uh, we also then at the Ark Encounter have uh, three decks of exhibits and we answer lots of questions about the flood and post-flood. Uh, we deal with, you know, Tower of Babel and the race issue, racism, etc. cetera. Uh, and we also have a zoo where, <clears throat> excuse me, where we're teaching people from a biblical worldview perspective, uh, make sure that they understand about kinds versus species. So we answer how Noah can get the animals on the ark. We have a virtual reality experience. And we do all sorts of other programming as well. We have... Uh, auditoriums at both locations where we actually have teaching programs and we have um, uh, all sorts of other fun programs, live animal programs. So it's all to equip families to be able to raise up godly offspring who know how to defend the Christian faith and know how to boldly share the Word of God. Hmm. I want to pick on the fact that you you mentioned that your ministry is based on the first 11 chapters of Genesis and, and making defenses for those those chapters. It, the first 11 chapters of Genesis seem pretty boilerplate, but uh, yet there are a lot of areas where they're under attack. And I think the other side of it is it really touches on every little part of Scripture, too. It talks about salvation. It talks about sin. It talks about the Redeemer. I mean, it really covers a large gamut of Scripture. It does. And in fact, you know, I would say to people, look, if if you look at the first 11 chapters of the Bible, there's a lot of Christians that say it doesn't really matter. As long as you believe God created, you don't need to worry about the details. And I would say, no, the details matter. I mean, there are even people that say, look, when you go out and present the gospel, don't get into the, the, the creation evolution debate or debate about Genesis. Leave that out. Just tell them about Jesus. You know, we have generations today who don't even know who Jesus is. And you tell them they're a sinner, they don't know what sin is and mm -hmm. what it means. And if you were to tell them, well, Jesus died for you on the cross, why did he die? Uh, well, because you're a sinner, and well, why am I a sinner? Well, where did that come from? See, the whole foundation of the gospel is right there in the creation account, understanding God made a perfect world. The first man rebelled against God. We're all descendants of that first man. When he rebelled, sin came into the world. That's why we're sinners. The promise of the Savior was given in Genesis 3.15. And again, actually, in Genesis 3.21, because that's really the setup of the sacrificial system, pointing to the one who would be the ultimate sacrifice. So the account in Genesis 1 to 11 there, uh, that's foundational to the gospel. Not only the gospel, where do we find out about death? Why do we die? Genesis 1 to 11. Uh, why is there sin? Genesis 1 to 11. Where did marriage come from? Well, God created marriage, you know, not the Supreme Court justices, God did, and he created marriage when he created the first man from dust and the first woman from his side. In fact, Genesis 2.24 is the creation of marriage, and Jesus quotes the text of that verse in Matthew 19 and also Mark 10. Mm -hmm. 
mm. uh, attesting to its historicity, and it's the foundation for marriage. But what about gender? Well, God made two genders, male and female, Genesis 1.27. Why do we wear clothes? Well, God gave clothes because of sin, Genesis 3.21. Uh, when God clo clothed Adam and Eve in coats of skins, the first blood sacrifices are covering for their sin. Picture what was to come in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why did Jesus die on a cross? Genesis 1 to 11. Why is he called the last Adam? Takes the place of the first Adam. Genesis 1 to 11. Why does man have dominion? Genesis 1 to 11. Why do we have to work and today work hard? Genesis 1 to 11. And so ultimately, all of our doctrines are directly or indirectly founded in the first 11 chapters. So the first 11 chapters are key. They're important. We've been talking with Ken Ham from Answers and Genesis and also the founder of the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter. If you want to find out more information about the subject of God of Creation and what we're breaking down in these doctrine series, please give us a call, 508-362-7070. I've heard a lot of great things about the Ark Encounter. I've even seen some digital tours in the Creation Museum. In fact, I just had somebody that was from our church that, that went there, and every time everyone comes back from the they're just so excited about these events, and uh, we don't really have opportunities to do that uh, very often. So uh, I don't know, maybe I'll have a chance to go out and visit the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum, and maybe you could send me there. Uh, imagine that. You could sponsor me to go, and you could help support that, and maybe we'll do some recordings, some blogging, some some details about that. Uh, maybe uh, raise up awareness about the Ark Encounter and get other people to go. Maybe we could all go together. That would be awesome. A road trip with, uh, with song time. Imagine how we could all go together and see the wonderful things that God has done that are testified in the Scriptures. Uh, well, if you want to support the Songtime Ministry because you believe in the programming that we're doing here as well as the proclamation of the gospel, let us know. Write to us. Send in your support. Write to us at Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or give us a call. It's 508-362-7070. That's 508-362-7070. 7070. Well, today we are beginning, we're breaking into our summer psalm series. One of my favorite things to do every single year during the summer, uh, breaking into the books of the psalm. This year we're going to be in book three, which I have to acknowledge is one of my favorite books. The Bible is broken up, uh, the psalms are broken up into five different books. And this one starts with Psalm 73 and goes to Psalm 89. And I'm excited over the next several weeks and the next two months to be breaking down many of these amazing psalms. But I like to call these psalms the Psalms That Preach. Why? Because many of these were written by the temple workers. Uh, there are 11 here that are written by Asaph or his his followers, which were, were priests that were serving in the temple and singing to the congregation, singing these songs, songs of lament, songs of praise, songs of questions. And I, I really do think that these Psalms pack a punch. That's why I call them the Psalms That Preach. Uh, the others are written by the sons of Korah, which were servants. They were the, the lower class, the, the sort of sextons or the janitors of the temple, but still serving in the temple, doing ministry, uh, serving behind the scenes, certainly, but uh, writing and singing these songs, sort of forming a choir. Uh, their position, I think, is unique as well. I just really like these psalms, and I'm really excited to get into them this week and the weeks ahead. 
This message from Brian Chapel takes us to the opening of the book three of the Psalms. As we look at 73, this Psalm that says, why do the wicked prosper? That's a question I ask. I find myself asking that question uh, far too often. Why do the wicked prosper? It seems that those who are advancing the kingdom of God always seem to struggle. Why is it so hard to run a nonprofit or to 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 run a church when when God owns the cattle on a thousand hills? Why doesn't he always bless his ministers? Why do they always have to uh, tighten their budget, tighten their uh, tighten their belt just a little bit closer? Why is it always hard work, hard labor to do ministry? Well, today we're going to get into that as we hear from this song of Asaph and this message from Brian Jappel. Psalm 73 is our psalm for this morning. Psalm 73. You'll see it as a psalm of Asaph. Not a psalm of David, but a psalm of Asaph. Asaph was apparently a worship leader in Israel, identified as a Levite. Uh, The title Asaph may ultimately have become the title of other worship leaders. There are 12 psalms in our Bible by Asaph. And interestingly, almost everyone is dealing with the most honest statements of the human condition. What we might almost fear to say in the church, Asaph is willing to say. The problem he is addressing in Psalm 73, why do good things happen to bad people and not to me? I mean, it's an, it's an old problem, of course, right? Whether you're taking a trip to grandma's house in the family car or flying to Timbuktu in the jetliner, the question is always, why does my stinky brother get the window seat or the obnoxious tourist and I get stuck in the middle? And so you begin to wonder, is God fair? And you envy the wicked and wonder where God went. All of that Asaph is willing to talk about. Can you identify with a psalmist who said, when I saw the prosperity of evil, my foot had almost slipped. I wondered, what good is faith? In this world, where it seems like that which is so contrary to God is in fact prospering all the time, do you understand why a psalmist would say, yeah, truly God is good, but as for me... My steps had almost slipped when I saw how wickedness prospered. First lesson of the day. So when we feel that this is unique to us to face the challenges of our culture and our time, it is not unique. All Christians in all ages face challenge to their God and to their godliness. We are not unique. And as a consequence, we take heart and hope from what the scriptures say we must know. What, what after all is the psalmist so willing to confess, threatened to trip his soul, to make his feet almost slip? It was just the simple. He said, good things happen to bad people and not to me. And of course, what he is saying, verse four is clear. They have no pain. There there are no pangs for them until death. They are fat and sleek, happy as clams, fat as ticks, slick as minks. Verse 5, they are untroubled. Verse 11, God doesn't even notice. Verse 12, they are always at ease and prospering. So, what good is it to be good? (laughs) Verse 3, pretty plain. I was envious of the arrogant. Verse 13, In vain 
I kept my heart clean. Verse 14, maybe most honest of all, all the day long I had been stricken and rebuked every morning. God is mean to me. Now we may say, we know it's wrong. But in our heart of hearts, we recognize the tone, if not the very words. It's, it's just the grown-up way of saying, why do I have to sit in the middle? Why don't I get the window seat? Why do they always get the window seat? And you need to whine a little bit to understand, of course, the tonality of the psalm. But making it just that personal is exactly what we need to do to, to not push this away from us and just say, it's somebody else. It's, it's some complaint that I can't recognize. No, we understand the feelings if we will search deep into our own hearts. Our questions are not just national, and they're not just global, and they're not just headlines. Our questions come right into our hearts, into our homes, and to our families. If we are faithful, we say, why do our children and spouses get sick or turn away from us or turn away from the faith that we raise them in? If we are faithful, why do really good Christians struggle with job security and infertility and bad neighbors and tornadoes? We long for solid relationships and end to loneliness to have some assurance that things are going to work out all right. But at the same time, we see others who are not solid Christians, who are not faithful, who do not name the name of Jesus. And they get the good jobs and the fast promotions and the attractive spouses and the fancy homes and the carefree lives and the healthy families. And the real question ultimately comes not only why do the evil prosper, but why not me? I'm trying to be good. I'm doing the right stuff. I'm honoring God. Why Why not me? And maybe just a little hint of the answer is because the real concern is not their prosperity. It's my envy. <laughs> I want what they got. I want their stuff. Why doesn't being a Christian mean I get what I want? More real candor when you kind of push in is finally the psalmist saying in verse 15, if I had said I would speak thus, if I tell you what's really on my mind, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. Cover their ears. Don't let the kids hear what really we think, right? We are, we are so upset. We, we don't, but, but we don't want to wreck vacation Bible school or Sunday school with really hard questions. So cover the ears of the children. If I really said what I thought, I would betray children. And it's that, that little moment of sobriety, that, that little moment of reflection. I better not say this or, or I'll hurt children that actually begins to lead the psalmist down a whole nother path. I think that pastors have a unique vantage point over Christianity and what's going on in our, our world today. I, I think that our position in, in shepherding the flock gives us an vantage point that's very motherly, very fatherly, very uh, very assertive over the congregation, but also one that causes us to have great worry. So let me encourage you to pray for your pastor, especially as we're working our way through uh, this psalm, uh, the Psalms that preach, because I think Asaph, I really resonate with with Asaph and his perspective on the church as a priest, as a, a singer and a songwriter and a, and a choir director in the temple, I think he had a unique vantage point. He watched people living these double lives, uh, people who were were living in the world, indulging in all of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and then coming to the temple on the Sabbath, their Saturday, and pretending to be all spiritual and religious. I think pastors see that 
as well. They may not talk about it, but they certainly make observations. There's also a spirit of jealousy, right? Because you see across the board those who are clearly misleading the congregation. They are wolves in sheep's clothing, but they're always the most prosperous in ministry. Their churches are always growing rapidly. Their churches are always massive, and their budgets are huge, and they have all of these expense budgets. And then there's the rest of us uh, that really are paycheck to paycheck when it comes to ministry work. We're really constantly dependent upon our supporters. And we don't ask very often. I I do not like to ask for support here on the broadcast. I I just want you to understand that if you are blessed, maybe return that blessing. But never try to use coercive attacks or coercive plans to try to get more uh, money out of our listeners. It's heartbreaking then to see that happening on a regular basis, especially those who are 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 plaguing on the 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 poor and and prospering off of those who are desperate. I can only imagine that Asaph is watching all of this stuff taking place and he's seeing what Jesus saw when he saw the the rich coming in and blowing their horns and leaving their offerings in big bags and making a huge scene. And then he noticed the widow with just two pennies. And he said, this woman put in more than all that came before her. I can see Asaph taking that in as well. I've seen it in my own ministry, and I can understand how frustrating it is. Why does God allow the the wicked to prosper and to get away with all of these horrible things when those who are faithfully serving God and loving God seem to be struggling day after day? Well, I think that there is a clear answer, and we're going to see that over the course of this week. But I leave you with this tidbit of encouragement, this this hope and and response of joy that God is always good. His promises are always fulfilled. It might seem from time to time that we're not able to, to experience that right here and right now, but I can assure you of this very thing that God who began this work will complete it in the day of Christ. I hope that we've been able to encourage you today. If we have, I hope that you'll be an encouragement to us. While we're not going to give you a hard ask for your support, we are indebted to you, our listeners. If we've been able to bless you, would you consider being a blessing to us in return? The only way that we can stay on the air is with your prayers, your love, and your support. So here in the middle of our year, when we desperately need your support to get through these lean summer months, can I encourage you to give and give generously to this ministry? You can write to us at Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 026304, or give us a call, 508-362-7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com or look us up on social media. But don't forget to tune in again tomorrow. We'll continue our study here in Psalm 73 as we discover that God allows us, he invites us to bring our hard questions to the throne of grace. You can come and ask your hard questions in a safe place. Yes, there there are hard things. There are things that don't make sense. But we sometimes observe other people and do not recognize the insecurity of evil. On behalf of everyone here at Songtime and our late founder, Dr. John DeBrine, who has always encouraged you to grow in grace so that you won't groan in disgrace, we want to thank you for listening. From Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller with our theme verse, Psalm 85, verses 4 and 7. Restore us again, 
O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation.